0: Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Gospel appointed for Sexagesima, the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 8th chapter, beginning at the 4th verse. Please rise in Jesus' name. As a large crowd was gathering and people from one town after another were making their way to him, he spoke using a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path. It was trampled, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground. As soon as it grew, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Other seed fell into good soil. It grew and produced fruit, one hundred times as much as was sown. As he said these things, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? He said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest I speak in parables, so that even though they see, they may not see, and even though they hear, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear it, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts to keep them from believing and being saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they have no root. So they believe for a while, but then fall away in a time of testing. The seeds that fell into the thorns are the ones who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries, riches, and pleasures of life, so they do not mature. And the seeds in the good ground are the ones who hear the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it tightly, and produce fruit as they patiently endure." These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. As Lutherans, we understand this concept of sola scriptura, or scripture alone. It means that there is no other means by which we receive the knowledge of the truth or the salvation won by Jesus Christ other than Holy Scripture. God's inspired and inerrant Word. We confess the power of the Word and its ability to convert, to change our lives and to actually give us the forgiveness of sins. But it doesn't always accomplish this work. We know that God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, but nevertheless, not all are saved. This is what Jesus illustrates in this parable, that in many hearts the word is not understood. Consider his words, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest I speak in parables, so that even though they see, they may not see, and even though they hear, they may not understand. And it is not understood precisely because our hearts are dark, The Christian life is one of repentance, which means that regularly, daily at least, we confess our sins and turn away from them and turn back toward God. Our divine services are structured to begin most often with the confession of sin. This is just one reflection of this aspect of Christian life. You're no doubt familiar with the accusation that's laid against many Christians and our churches, that you just think you're better than everybody else. In point of fact, we do not think we're better. We rather know that we are just as bad, if not worse, only we're forgiven. You're familiar with the passage, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Just one aspect of this sin that we confess is original sin. This is the sin that we inherited from our first parents way back through the ages, from Adam and Eve. When they disobeyed God's command and ate the fruit that was set apart and forbidden to them, they broke ties with God. They separated themselves from that light of His glory, and they brought death upon themselves and generations after. We're born in the image of our ancestors, and they are all, every single one of them, sinful. And so, too, you and I are conceived and born in sin. The worship of the Old Testament illustrated what this meant through the tabernacle and the temple. There was a massive curtain inside that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God could be accessed. And so you see, sin is a separation like that thick and heavy veil between us and the author of life. And more sacrifices were made daily. Blood was shed daily to show the people the cost of their sin. God's law had been broken, and it was still broken every single day. And the price was life. Blood spilled out. Because of this natural darkness and death, we cannot understand the things of God. Scripture teaches this, that original sin is not being able to believe in God and not being able to fear and love God. Jesus, after all, scolded the scoffers, the healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. So when you examine your own heart, are you well, not having the corruption of original sin and your own sins, or do you need Jesus? And we confess this is in our creed as well. I believe in the Holy Spirit, which we learn in the Catechism means I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts sanctified and kept me in the one true faith, just as he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it. So the Word of God, first of all, teaches us to despair of our own abilities. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot even believe on our own. We cannot even understand God's Word without the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. There's a doctrine that we believe that's called in seminary, the perspicuity of Scripture. And perspicuity just means clarity. And the doctrine teaches that God's Word is clear and easy to understand in all that it relates to our salvation. Of course, it doesn't mean that there aren't difficult passages to understand, and there are. But that doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture is important because by understanding this, we know that our faith doesn't depend on someone else to explain those things to us. False teachers and human opinion all believe the same thing, that man must shed light on Scripture in some capacity. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that the Bible is not understood without the Pope and the councils and the bishops. The evangelical groups, such as the Baptists and Methodists and so forth, teach that the Bible is not understood without some inner spark in a person's heart. The devil loves all this false teaching, and he encouraged it in Eve. Has God really said, he asked her, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? So first he made her doubt God's word. And then when she did correctly cite what God had said, he made her doubt the interpretation of God's Word. You certainly will not die. And Through the centuries you can see how people have come up with all sorts of ways to understand God's Word through complicated wordplay and interweaving of Bible passages and it's our nature to continue to do the same thing. Just test it in your own life when you're reading the Bible and you come across a passage that seems to make you a little uncomfortable. Are you going to look for an interpretation that fits with what you want Or do you accept what God says? No man sheds the light on Scripture. The opposite is true. We sing with the psalmist, Your words are a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And we sing with Simeon, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Therefore, we see that while it's true that God's word is clear, our hearts are dark. The very word that we cannot understand must shed light upon our hearts so that we can see the truth and receive the truth and grow in life. This is ultimately a very comforting doctrine. Learn first how sick we are, we are dead, in fact, in our trespasses and sins. But the Word of God gives life. We cannot save ourselves through any work or thought or attitude. Jesus had to do all of it. And He did do all of it. And then He gives it to us through the Word and sacraments. We are purely passive in every single aspect of our salvation. We are as passive as a dead person. There's nothing that we can do or think or say to improve our lot in God's eyes. And He proves it all through the cross of Christ. So, once He gives us that life, then we see we're as purely passive as a baby. And God cares for us. You see, we prefer to look elsewhere. It's our human nature to believe we're not as bad as all that. We're not totally depraved and lost, are we? There's still something in us that lets us get a, a leg up. There must be. Is it that I'm a generally good person? Is That I make sure to give money to the church regularly? Is it even that I confess my sin? You see, even confession can be turned by us into a good work and a reason for which God must exalt us. When you hear this parable of Jesus, that's the focus of our meditation this morning, is the prayerful response of your heart along the lines of, God, I thank you that I'm not like the soil of the pathway or the rocky ground or that weed-infested soil. Before you pray like that, compare it to the prayer of another man in another parable. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The Pharisee who prayed that prayer in that parable went home, if you remember how it ends, unjustified. And that should sound terrifying. If we are not justified, we're condemned. And eternal death is then our reward. But that justification comes from only one place. And it comes to us in only one way. We're going to get distracted all the time by looking at other things. Those along the path are the ones who hear it, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts to keep them from believing and being saved. And the way it sounds, we might again be thinking of other people. But remember that the devil does not want you to believe either. And he is still working to tear that seed out of your heart. If you are not returned daily in your heart to God in his word, then the devil will work to make you doubt it. Here's where this advice applies. Don't simply rely on your recollections. Of God's will don't believe that you know everything about what the Bible teaches about morality or truth because suddenly you'll find that the roots are no longer securely in the ground but they're flying in the air while you're devoured by the hellish bird instead through your personal devotion plus your family devotion plus the divine service and in all these return to your catechism it's not just for kids That's our life, is in that catechism. In all those things, you are fed a regular daily diet of God's Word to keep you rooted. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who, when they hear, receive the Word with joy, but they have no root. So they believe for a while, but then fall away in a time of testing. Now again, don't think of other people. Your root is always in danger of withering away. Perhaps you once did hear the word with joy, but do you still rejoice in it, or is it too much for you? Is it hard to find time to read and study God's word, or too embarrassing to talk about it even with your family? When you do hear it, is it only to focus on what you're supposed to do, or does it come with a false sense of stoicism, believing that you'll never have any problems because of your faith? Are you getting out of it your own ideas? Again, be fed God's word regularly. And when you hear it, take it to heart. And remember the connection that you have because of it to Jesus, both to his cross and his resurrection. And the seeds that fell into the thorns are the ones who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries, riches, and pleasures of life, so they do not mature. And again, this isn't just other people. It's something that we must guard ourselves against. The world is full of worries, as you know. How many of them seem insurmountable? The world is also full of riches. How many of them seem more desirable than the simplicity and offensiveness of the word? And the world is full of pleasures. How many of them seem more important than this religion, or just as important, or noble, or righteous? And this might include things like getting your value from church based on how it appeals to your family, or how it applies to your political views, or whether it includes people you'd prefer not to associate with, like any of those neighbors of ours with their drug addictions and criminal records. Of course, we don't want them in church. And the seeds in the good ground are the ones who hear the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it tightly, and produce fruit as they patiently endure. This is the one that we like to think of as descriptive of ourselves. And the prayer is that it does. After all, we're good Christians. It's so easy for us to cause that to become a source of pride, though. Because we go to a nice, clean church, peopled by nice, friendly types. We exalt ourselves. But does Jesus leave any room for self-exaltation here? Does Jesus praise that soil? Does Jesus think that soil did anything good in itself? He says, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest I speak in parables, so that Even though they see, they may not see. And even though they hear, they may not understand. This is spoken against prideful hearts. As St. Paul wrote, So let him who thinks he stands be careful that he does not fall. This is the position of all of us. But the one to whom it has been given to know, the Holy Spirit provides Scripture's growth. We dare not look at any bit of our own qualities, not even the qualities that have grown out of our faith as a reason for our salvation or our worth. After all, we're just dirt, just like all the rest. All four of these are dirt. But salvation comes from only one place, and in only one way. But that way is also manifold in word, baptism, and supper. And through these things, you and I do nothing, but we receive everything. And what we receive is what Jesus won. It's true that not all are saved, and the reason for a lack of salvation is the stubborn resistance of the sinful heart against God's grace. But the reason that you and I are saved reason we have that salvation in our heart and at why it's growing and flourishing and producing fruit, it's entirely the work of God from beginning to end. And it's given to us in His Word. Because He's the one responsible for it, what do we have to worry about? We leave it in His hands. He sent His Son to die for us and to rise for us, how will he not also with him give us all things? Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.